And now, proper propaganda. Pull my mic back, you like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I go by the name Q Ward. Yes, indeed. A lot more to stick around for. Um, not the least of which is we're going to have a conversation about reparations. Hmm. Hmm. Um, long overdue in this space. <laughs> we're being hopeful. long overdue. Period. We're being hopeful again today. Uh, you know, I had a conversation. I'll share a little bit about it. Um, but yes, always. Um, without hope, what are we really doing, right? Um, we're also going to talk about uh, Loving Day, which uh, just passed on June twelfth. That's the day when interracial marriage finally became legal in the United States. Um. And that's a good thing. We like that. Without interracial marriage, Maggie B. No one wouldn't be here, you know. So uh, we're, we, we like that. But, you know, we do have to talk about um, this. And we've chosen today to make it our way black history fact. But first and foremost, um, let's discuss how to become a better ally. Baba. Now, I'm going to start this off with a quote from Malcolm X. Um, by the way, this is uh, sponsored by Hip Hop Weekly Magazine. Okay, so this quote from Malcolm X, education is the passport to the future for tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today. All right, so this week's Baba is something people of all races and nationalities can consider. I'm going to turn pain into purpose, celebrating life of loved ones with scholarships. Okay, so we want to uh, take a moment, thank all of our Instagram, our social media supporters. If you follow us, we're at Civic Cypher. Again, every follow, like, message, download, et cetera, is greatly appreciated. Um, so what happened is this past week, we received a message from one of our supporters on Instagram. Uh, the name is at Lightfoot Legacy Scholars. Uh, it reads, hello, we are a family who's giving away a scholarship to an undergraduate STEM student. STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. Um, so STEM student, in memory of our late father, we would love it if you would kindly share this opportunity with anyone who might benefit from it. Um, uh, this comes from lightfootlegacyscholars.org. Okay, um, I'll read a little bit. Um, leading scholars to success through the Lightfoot Legacy. The Michael J. Lightfoot Legacy Scholarship was established in 2022 after the passing of our beloved father and grandfather. Michael J. Lightfoot believed that anyone can and should make a positive difference in the lives of others. His actions matched his beliefs through his generous giving to various charities committed to fighting in homelessness and promote social justice and education for all. Um, let me grab this. Okay, so... Uh, if you or someone directly uh, working with students, uh, parents, colleges, businesses, and communities would like to help out uh, these young folks fulfill their college dreams and can certainly be a resource, you want to visit, again, um, the website, which is lightfootlegacyscholars.org or scholarshipamerica.org. Um, and just in general, if you want to donate to a scholarship fund or otherwise fund the education of minority minds, that is always a standing Baba around here. So um, if you want more information, please head to our social media. You can find out more about that. Now, reparations. Okay, your first thoughts, Q. Talk to me. Reparations? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> Full-hearted hopelessness? <laughs> yeah. Or full-hearted hopefulness, whichever whichever you want to say, the, the idea mm -hmm. that this great country will ever come around to the full-hearted apology 
that would be required for the conversation on reparations to be authentic and something that might be real, I don't see happening in my lifetime. Now, that is a fair posture to adopt. A lot of people think reparations is money. And around here, we get it. We understand that narrative that might exist in your communities listening to the show. Black people always want some for free. We know that. We know that that's something that has been placed on us unfairly, I believe. Um, for free is an interesting interesting right super interesting but you know this is a thing that exists in the in the in the world in the you know in the narrative we'll say it that way um so let's say for the sake of argument at least for now we see that okay there's something else here and this is really where i wanted to start with this one Have you ever heard about a lawsuit where a person sues another person? Ramses sues Q because Ramses feels like he was wronged. I was wronged. So I'm suing you, right? And I'm suing you for $10,000, okay? And the court says at the end of it all, you know what, Ramses? Q is guilty. Q is culpable. He's responsible. We're not going to give you $10,000, but we will rule in your favor the amount of $1. Have you heard of those sorts of things happening before? I have. I have. Okay. Now, what it does is it documents, it establishes that there was wrong committed, there was harm committed, and that there is a set of facts that will be chronicled insofar as this part of the story is concerned, right? And we can go from here, right? You can figure out another way to uh, seek, you know, your recompense from the offender or from the universe or whatever, but gain your punitive damages elsewhere. Thank however, you. however, um, we, we think that $10,000 is too much as a court. As a, as a governing body, we think that's too much, but we will say that you were right, okay? Um, now, uh, the reason I, I cite that example is because um, reparations, besides economically empowering Black people, a people who, as a result of systemic racism, enjoy uh, it wouldn't even, if I said a fraction, your mind would think a third, but really a tenth of the wealth um, doing the same jobs. You know what I mean? This is, these are systemic issues. You know, like if you look at communities and environments or whatever, this is really what we have a tenth of the wealth. Um, you know, if you're college educated, you can expect to make less money than a white high school dropout. If you're a college-educated Black person, you can expect to make less money than a white high school dropout. I want to make sure I say that right. 
Um, for those that do listen to my other show that I do on the Black Information Network, um, I do a show called the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. I go through all of these things. I talk about all of the stuff, um, housing discrimination, of course, critical race theory, redlining, um, the war on drugs, environmental racism, uh, the GI Bill, uh, unfair policing, unfair judicial sentencing, you know, all of the things that disproportionately affect Black people, the systemic issues that we have to deal with in this country. We haven't talked about medical disparity. We haven't talked about anything. All of these things, right? Now, besides remedying the economic disparities, you know, maybe not all of them, you know, we don't know what the number looks like or how, how things are divvied out or whatever, but besides addressing them, at least what it does is like those court rulings that only rule in favor of $1 to the, to the plaintiff or whatever. Um, it chronicles, it documents, yes, there was an atrocity, there was a wrong being committed. And it's the chronicling, it's the coming to terms with the fact that we have wronged this group of people. We go on record saying it. This isn't, no, we're going to give you the right to vote or we're going to stop killing you. No, this is saying, yeah, we did that. We took advantage. We committed human rights violations. There's no way around that one. I don't care how, who you bought your slaves from. I don't care how you describe the treatment of certain slaves in certain households. It is a human rights violation. It was then, it's still now. It was before then, right? So this country going on record saying, yeah, we were wrong and we owe something to try to remedy that, that part of reparations cannot be understated enough. We're not talking about dollars yet, right? And this is where a lot of people tune out of this conversation. So kudos to you if you're still listening. <laughs> but could you imagine how impactful that would be? I, I, I imagine for myself, Q, how impactful that would have been um, to know growing up as a child. Again, you got to teach this stuff to kids. But, you know, I was a kid once. I had to learn these things. And the way I learned it was... Well, uh, they took us from Africa. We got on boats and we threw up oatmeal <laughs> and then we got here and then we had to work in fields. We didn't have good clothes. We didn't get to bathe. They, they tore us apart. Um, and then after doing that for a few hundred years, they were like, all right, well, you know, cool. Thanks. Um, get out there and try not to get killed while we stack every law against you and change every, you know, uh, deny you every opportunity to really make something of yourselves. And every time you manage to break through, we're going to come through and burn your town down. You know, this is kind of the story I was taught. Now imagine growing up in a world where maybe you can't imagine this, but I can, where Ramses, here's that information. And also here's, and the government said, yeah, that was, that was kind of foul. That was wrong that we did that. So we're going to do something to try to remedy it, how the optics of the narrative shift entirely. Here's what I mean. For those of you who are listening, who are not black, you don't know, and you could not know 
what it's like to feel like you come from slaves. There is no honor in that. We have found honor in that. But we know there is no honor in that. We've had to build it for ourselves. I think it is a human condition that we will affirm our livelihood, our right to exist, our beauty, our brilliance, ourselves. Yes? I think that that's what we have done. I think it's a human condition. Let the tables turn and this happen to some white folks. I do believe that they would revert to type two and, and find their humanity. I have to press pause mid-sentence. Go for it. Because we don't have to use our imagination. Hmm. Things like this did happen to white people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Go ahead. And they got reparations. They got, Ooh, they got go ahead, open out loud apology. Listen, talk to them. Q. So we don't have to try to imagine a world where that happened. It did. Mm. And we don't want to compare traumas and make one. Yeah, that's not what we would never do that. Yeah. Right. But but it's such examples exist. Yeah. For every other people, every other group of people wronged by this country, except the black slave who was not only robbed of his dignity, self-respect, honor, pride, but his heritage, Uh, their heritage language. I told you about a story when I lived in Barcelona, Spain. Right. And the gentleman asked me where I was from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me, I very, very proudly told him that Detroit, Motor, Michigan, Motor City, you know, Motown. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 no. Where are you from? Which started to get a little confusing. Yeah. Because I just told him, like, where's your people from? He meant, oh, OK, my mother, she's from Macon, Georgia. Small town south of Atlanta, Georgia, USA, not Georgia, Eastern Europe. So now he's confused. Because he's like, no, man, brother, like, where, where are you from? He's pointing to his hand, the back he's of his hand. He's rubbing the brown on the back of his hand. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly where he's from, right? Mm-hmm. I sit there now confused, being the only person at this table of maybe 10 people who can't have a conversation about where he's from. It was embarrassing. It was gut-wrenching. It was belittling. It was, it was heartbreaking. Because I realized that the Black American is the only person on the globe treated like cattle that cannot answer that question. question. Yeah. So, so hang on. Let me, let me get, get back in right here. So imagine, like you listening, you know, maybe there's a rich history. Maybe not, but maybe there is. Maybe you know your lineage, you know, you can trace your ancestry back to some European country and, you know, your great uncle fourth removed on the whatever side of what, I don't even know how family trees work. So forgive me if that sounds stupid, but you know, this person was a shoemaker for King Leopold the 50th or whatever. I don't know. That history isn't hard to keep though. You have to remember they were not stolen from their families and yeah. torn apart, but and just placed on purpose. But think connecting to that, connecting to that. It gives you a sense of identity. It gives you a sense, something to aspire to. Something, well, you know, why, you know, we did this and my, you know, my folks, they, they, they came across the Atlantic and they, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's incredible stories, there's incredible journeys, these people that you look up to, right? These are your stories, right? And the stories that we have, like I know my father's father, and I think we, you know, barely started kind of keeping records around my great grandfather. You know, beyond that, it just kind of was whatever. 
you know, and those stories aren't necessarily like I'm, I'm very proud of my father and his father, but I'm talking, I'm speaking in general now. Um, our stories, it's not like we aspired, we were able to even aspire to do much with the short amount of times and the social uh, conditions that were imposed on us by the government and this society, right? Back to reparations. Um, to acknowledge, okay, there was some wrong here and we've, we're, we're trying to remedy that. Reparations um, kind of checks that box. So in other words, when I come of age, when seven, eight-year-old Ramses starts learning about his history and, you know, why do, does it feel like it might be cooler to be white? Why do I not really loving this black thing just yet? I don't know why I got to be this. This is not that type. You know, I'm watching TV. I'm, you know, little, excuse me, subtle things that you learn from society. I remember this. I remember that feeling when I was five. Like, dang, I wish I was white, man. That looks way better. You know what I mean? What a sad thing, right? But I, I actually, me, me, the person you're listening to talk, I felt that. Five years old. I remember it plain as day. So, Having that additional element of knowing, hey, the government did this, but also acknowledge that it was wrong and has tried to kind of remedy. At least you understand the why. Okay, we're not born bad. We're not born to be poor. We're not born to be. There was something that happened. And our current circumstance is the result of that. There was an acknowledgement. It is documented now. It's chronicled into the narrative. So before we even talk about money, Let's talk about that. Now that that's talked about, I want to read something to you. All right. Um, there was a preliminary reparations report released at the beginning of June. And this is what I talked about on my, uh, my show on the iHeart radio app. If you want to check it out again, the Black Information Network daily podcast. Um, I spoke with uh, a, a woman who's an expert on this. Um, I remember her name is Camila. She uh, had 500 pages of factual information and a qualified assessment um, of what it is based on. Now, hers was for the state of California specifically, but they also made a parallel one for the federal government as well. Um, and the truth is it should be a required moral obligation for everyone to kind of familiarize, familiarize themselves and engage with that information. You know, the facts are the facts. Um, until we call it a problem, we'll, we're never going to come to a solution, right? It's just going to, we're going to keep, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. Um, the report's executive summary uh, basically details that more than 50% of the U.S. presidents from 1789 to 1885 enslaved African Americans. Today, 160 years after the abolition of slavery, its badges and incidents remain embedded in the political, legal, health, financial, educational, cultural, environmental, social, and economic systems of the United States of America. Racist, false, and harmful stereotypes created to support slavery continue to physically and mentally harm African Americans today. Um, without a remedy specifically targeted to dismantle our country's racist foundations and heal the injuries inflicted by colonial and American governments, the quote badges and incidents of slavery and quote will continue to harm African-Americans in almost all aspects of life. Um, the report goes on for another 498 pages. Um, 
now. Uh, there's a lot of people. There's an, a, a, a parallel narrative that exists in this country. You know, a lot of we'll call it Middle America. <laughs> well, I was born poor. You know, my family came here with nothing. We don't have. You know, I no one gave me a fair shot. I had to work for everything I got. Right. I don't know why this guy sounds like he's from Texas, but I suck with accents. So bear with me. Right. But you know this person. Right. And from their perspective, they have a, a, a solid argument. This is why Donald Trump can come in and entice these folks, because they have a very one sided view of what has happened here. It's very self-centered. And I get it. Most human beings are. That's kind of the nature of being human. We have, you know, we don't have a hive mind. You know, we are individuals, right? So I'm not mad at these people. I'm trying to educate these people. I feel like that's the way, you know, again, forgiveness for when they do come around. <laughs> I know, don't laugh at me. <laughs> I think that it's possible, man. Um, but, you know, there's th these people exist and they feel like, you know, everybody has to go through something. You know, the world isn't fair. The world is not a fair place. Get over it. You know, that, these sorts of things. And they don't recognize that every time we get over it, we're the, literally they come and burn the town. Or there are systemic issues. Like I say systemic issues, and I feel like that's a blanket term. There are specific governmental policies enacted to precisely target black people in this country, some of which I've detailed already. Still today, too. Right now. Talking about back in the day. <laughs> right. Today. I've, I've talked to you. If you, if you want to hit the website, civiccipher.com, download this episode if you on your favorite podcast and re-listen, because when I started this segment, I named a bunch of them. I rattled them off. I don't want to do it again because I forgot what I said. But there's more than just that. They exist right now. Okay. Environmental racism is one that I'm working on as a piece for this show. That's something happening right now. Still, every day. Doesn't affect black, white people, does affect black people and poor people, you know, but poor people and black people tend to be the same, which is why money is such an important part of this specific conversation. Um, now, I want to jump ahead here. Um, so, uh, recent report release. Okay, as part of California's historic assembly bill, 3121 enacted in September 2020, the California Task Force study to develop reparations for proposals for African-Americans was formed in charge of studying the institution of slavery and its lingering negative effects on living African-Americans as well as on society. The bill also requires the task force to recommend appropriate remedies, compensation, rehabilitation, and restitution for African-Americans, and with a special consideration for descendants and persons enslaved in the United States. Um, with the final report expected in 2023, building on months of public hearings, court, hours of expert public and witness testimony and numerous records submitted on June 1st, the reparations task force released an interim report as well as a preliminary set of corrective recommendations, providing an in-depth interview, the first of its kind of the harms inflicted on African-Americans in California, as well as the separate one, um, which details the federal harms uh, across the nation due to the ongoing legacy of slavery and systemic discrimination. Now, again, should be, excuse me, should be required reading um, for anybody with empathy who really wants to understand the why. But let's say you don't have that kind of time. I want to implore you one more time that you can check out the Black Information Network daily podcast, the Black Information Network. 
has a daily podcast. It's hosted by Ramses Ja. So I want you to remember it. You can go there and download the episode, probably a few days old. Download the one on reparations and get all of this game um, because it's detailed there explicitly for you. And you can understand even more than you do now. Moving on. <laughs> what a show, man. <laughs> we just gave some foreign white people $54 billion. We ain't got it for our own black people, though, or our own poor, but it's neither here nor there. Interesting. All right. Way Black History Fact. This one comes from Hip Hop Weekly. Uh, or it's sponsored by Hip Hop Weekly Magazine. Um, by the way, shout out to the Unlucky Birdos. One time. Okay. One time. June 12th is Loving Day. This is the day when interracial marriage finally became legal in the U.S. Um, so, uh, as a fun fact, Maggie B. Nowen's parents, this is, again is our show producer, uh, they're a product of the success of this case. They're almost 40 years happily married, um, and today's story comes from Britannica.com. So, in Loving versus Virginia, which was decided on June 12, 1967, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously struck down Virginia's law pro prohibiting interracial marriages as a violation of the 14th Amendment. The appellants Richard and Mildred Loving of Caroline County had married in Washington, D.C. in June 1958 and then returned to Virginia where they were arrested. After pleading guilty, they were forced to leave the state. The American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU, shout out to the ACLU one time, filed motions and appeals on their behalf beginning in 1963. And after the Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals ruled against Lovings, the Lovings in 1966, the U.S. Supreme Court heard their arguments and the case uh, came after nearly 300 years of legislation in Virginia uh, regulating interracial marriage and carefully defining which citizens could le legally claim to be white. Two U.S. Supreme Court cases, Pace versus Alabama in 1883 and, Mar or sorry, and Maynard versus Hill, in 1888 upheld the constitutionality of such laws in 1924 the act to preserve racial integrity banned interracial marriage in virginia what a weird name jesus the act to preserve racial integrity hmm. maybe little subtle things like that were why i thought it might be cool to be white when i was a kid anyway i'll continue um while defining a white person as someone who has no discernible non-white ancestry. It was this law that in the U.S. Supreme Court ruling said denied Virginia's fundamental freedom to marry. Loving versus Virginia is a landmark case, both in the history of race relations in the United States and in the ongoing political and cultural dispute over the proper definition of marriage. These are the facts of the case. The, the appealants in Loving versus Virginia were Richard Petty Loving and his wife, Mildred Dolores Jeter Loving, born on October 29, 1933. In Central Point, Caroline County, Richard Loving was a white man who worked as a construction worker. Mildred Loving, born on July 22, 1939, also in Central Point, was part African-American and part Indian. Um, later in her life, she identified only as Indian. Um, I bet I know why. Um, after traveling to Washington, D.C. to obtain legal marriage on June 2nd, 1958, they returned to Virginia where mixed race unions were against the law. They lived downstairs in the Central Point home of Mildred Loving's parents. On July 11th, the, Commonwealth, the Commonwealth's attorney for Caroline County, Bernard Mayhorn, obtained warrants for the couple's arrest. After attempting to apprehend them several times during the day, Sheriff Garnet Brooks found the Lovings at home in the early morning hours a few days later. Richard Loving was released after one night 
on a $1,000 bond, which is a lot of money back then. Uh, several days later, his wife was delivered into the care of her father. In October 1958, the Circuit Court of Caroline County issued an indictment indicating that their marriage was in violation of the state law. On January 6, 1959, the Lovings pleaded not guilty and waived a jury trial. However, at the end of the arguments, they changed their pleas to guilty. Judge Leon M. Bazil gave them each a one-year suspended sentence provided that, quote, both accused leave Caroline County and the state of Virginia at once and do not return together at the same time to said county and state for a period of 25 years. After paying court fees of $36.29 each, the Lovings moved to Washington, D.C., where they lived with Mildred Lovings' cousin, Alex Bird, and his wife, Laura. Um, the terms of their sentence allowed them to travel to Virginia separately, and Mildred Loving returned to Central Point for the births of their children. In 1963, at the suggestion of her cousin, Mildred Loving wrote a letter to the U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy asking him to intervene on her and her husband's behalf. Quote, I wasn't in anything concerning civil rights. End quote, Loving later told an interviewer, I was well, we were trying to get back to Virginia. That was our goal, to get back home. Kennedy referred Loving to the National Capital Area Branch of the ACLU, which in June 1963 assigned Bernard S. Cohen of Alexandria to the case. Philip J. Herkshop, a lawyer then doing civil rights work in Mississippi, joined the case a few months later. Um, now, uh, I'm going to condense a bit of this here because they went through a bunch of appeals process to make you know this happen. We sort of now know the way the story went. Um, the legacy of Loving v. Virginia goes as follows. Loving v. Virginia established the legal basis for a cultural redefinition of marriage. On August 13, 1967, the Associated Press reported on the marriage of Leona Eve Boyd, a white woman, and Romans Howard Johnson, a black man, in Kingdom Hall Church in Norfolk. Quote, the first known interracial marriage in Virginia since the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the state's miscongeniation, uh, congenation, I think that's how you say that, law in June. Over time, the marriages uh, between whites and African-Americans became both more numerous and more accepted. Same-sex marriages, meanwhile, became more disputed with gay rights activists attempting to use Loving v. Virginia as a precedent in their favor. The courts have preferred reading the case strictly in terms of race, although in 2007, the group Gay and Lesbian Advocates and Defenders, or GLAD, released a statement that attributed Mildred Loving's Mildred, attributed to Mildred Loving's support for same-sex marriage. After her death, the Loving family denied that she held these views. Um, Richard and Mildred Loving had been publicly averse through the entire and the entire appeals process, living secretly on a farm in King and Queen County. At a news conference held in the Alexandria office of Cohen and Cohen on the day of the Supreme Court's ruling, Mildred Loving said, I feel free now. Around the same time, she told, told an interviewer that someone had burned a cross in her mother's front yard in Central Point. Richard Loving built himself and his wife a house in Central Point and lived there until his death in June 29, 1975, when a drunk driver struck the car he was driving in Caroline County. Mildred Loving survived the crash and died of pneumonia at her home on May 2nd. 2008 hmm. um so now you can marry somebody it doesn't matter what they look like still a little bit of funny stuff around our um 
brothers and sisters who subscribe to the LGBTQIA plus um, lifestyles, but uh, we'll get there. We'll stay there. Um, love is love. And um, this is your way black history fact that that happened in this country in order for that to be true. So people had to live through that. So I guess we'll leave it right there. Um, so thank you for listening. Once again, uh, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I go by the name Q Ward. Yes, indeed. Um, show producer is Ms. Maggie, a.k.a. Maggie B. Nolan. Um, So that's who you got to get mad at. Don't get mad at me. Or you can get mad at me. It doesn't matter. Um, we do want to say happy Father's Day to uh, all the dads out there. Um, Q and I are both dads, of course, and loving every minute of it. Um, there's another episode I put up uh, about how great it is to be a black dad now because we have, and we're still overcoming a lot of those myths associated with we're all gangbangers and drug baseless myths but the long and short of it is that um we appreciate you supporting us every week be sure to hit the website civiccypher.com submit any topics and show ideas of course make a donation helps the show grow download this and any previous episodes and of course you can follow us on all social media at civic cypher and until next week y'all peace From headquarters, behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander. Here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show. Get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, 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 like